morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. May the Lord grant us wisdom as we listen to his word. Amen. Thank you, Jeannie, for reading God's Word for us this morning. Well, good morning, beloved family and friends in Christ. I first want to welcome our many friends and visitors who are with us this morning. Welcome and thank you for joining us this morning. And to those of us present in person for our worship service, and to those of you watching this service via live streaming, I'm glad you can join us too this morning. It's really a wonderful morning as we observe um, and rejoice with the seven who just profess and proclaim their love and loyalty to Jesus Christ by undergoing baptism. We as a church, we joyfully receive them and the five others who we will see later, will be introduced to later, who come to join us by transfer. And we want to welcome them into membership of this, to this local expression of the worldwide body of Jesus Christ, that is Grace Baptist Church. This morning, we also remember the last Advent Sunday before Christmas. The word Advent means arrival. It describes a situation where something or someone long awaited for is finally here. At Christmas, remember Jesus Christ long-awaited first coming some 2,000 years ago. And as a church, we've been preparing our hearts by looking at passages out of the Old Testament, uh, book of Isaiah, um, uh, uh, the Old Testament book of the Bible called Isaiah. 
And, and we recall how this passage just tells us that a son is given. And we rejoice with the hope that the Lord, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, has come. So let us pray as we look at God's Word again this morning. Let us pray. Father God, open our eyes to see the beautiful things in Your Word. May Your Holy Spirit teach us Your truths and cause the love in our hearts to arise. As we see Jesus Christ more clearly, help us to follow Jesus and to walk in Your ways so that we increasingly reflect You and Your glory. Do this for the honour of Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2020 is coming to an end. You know, I, I can't believe it. I don't know whether you guys feel the same way. It's been a year filled with difficulties, challenges, and fear as the world was struck by the COVID-19 pandemic. And we, and su- and we suffered the ensuing financial fallout. So, so many Singaporeans warmly welcome the recent announcement of phase three of Singapore's COVID-19 response. You know, a journalist with Channel News Asia reflecting on phase three writes in her commentary. And she writes on how phase three is her beacon of hope. She says, Indeed, phase three feels like the long-awaited turning of the corner one that allows us to symbolically close the chapter on a very long and dark year. Of course, it will not be a celebration of delirious abandonment with COVID-19 still ravaging the world. However, at least now, we may cautiously celebrate the return to a greater sense of normalcy. Personally, despite the challenging year with endless hurdles, or precisely because of it, more than before, 2020 feels like a year worth celebrating. And she goes on to write, As I look forward to welcoming a new baby in 2021, I will be celebrating a year of strengthened friendship, hard-fought personal growth, and renewed hope with real hugs, not Zoom gatherings and emoticons. The worst storms shall eventually pass and shall come true together. For her, phase three is an event that serves as her beacon of hope. The difficulties we are facing will pass and something better will arrive. Phase three gives her some sense of confidence for the future. But as I reflect, can we have full confidence in this hope? No, don't get me wrong. I pray that we can safely and smoothly transition into phase three before COVID-19 is finally beaten by vaccines and medical therapeutics. But as we look around the world, many countries have hoped for some phase three-like reopening. And what has happened? Many now are battling new waves of infections. I wonder, where do we get our security confidence and hope for the future. Not only for this COVID-19 calamity, but also for the difficulties that are surely to come in our lives. This is where the prophet Isaiah, writing to God's people under oppression by a foreign superpower and facing exile, a people facing tremendous difficulties, 
has a word for us. Where do I get my security, confidence, and hope for the future? How can we endure and persevere when facing difficulties? And Isaiah tells us that God's people can persist in hope by looking forward to the coming of the promised anointed Son, the true beacon of hope, Jesus Christ. So my friends, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. And for our friends who are visiting with us and do not have a Bible, don't worry. We'll show the Bible passages on the PowerPoint screen in front of you as well. But before we jump into today's passage, we need a little help in reading today's passage. We need to understand the context of Isaiah 11. This book was written by the prophet Isaiah, for which this book is named. And Isaiah lived some 700 years before Jesus Christ. And he lived during the time of the divided kingdom. So what it means, this means is that the 10 tribes of Israel now occupied the north, and the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin live in the south. So this book is a collection of historical stories and prophecies, and it covers the entire lifespan of the prophet, which spans over the reign of four of the kings of Judah. And the context for Isaiah 11 then is Judah, was, was Judah when it was under the rule of King Ahaz. Okay? And this king, we need to know a little bit of this king. This king assumed the throne of Judah at the age of 20 or 25. And the thing was, he was a bad king. He was a bad king. He spurned God and did not keep the covenant between God and God's people. And sometime later, when his kingdom was invaded by the northern kingdom of Israel and his ally Syria, and these this two kingdoms, they tried to force Ahaz into alliance with them against powerful nation of Assyria. And Ahaz, acting against the the prophet Isaiah who spoke for God, Ahaz appealed for, for aid instead from Assyria to repel the invaders. He did not rely on God. He turned away from God. And as a result, Assyria defeated Syria and Israel. Judah was subjected to the Assyrian king. So we see here, not only has Judah's political situation not improved, but the Syria now oppressed Judah and exacted a heavy tribute. Not, not only that, Assyrian gods were introduced into the temple at Jerusalem and the people of God were led into further idolatry. They disobeyed and broke their covenantal responsibilities they made to God. And this is where we come to Isaiah 11. Will God still keep His covenantal promises to a rebellious people that have spurned Him? You know, I'm dating myself here, but I, I, I like the Lord of the Rings uh, movie trilogy. You know, some of my friends, they like the cinematography. They think it's beautiful movie making. Others like the characters and their development. And many of my Christian friends like the many Christian themes that they find in the Lord of the Rings tril movie trilogy. Um, but for me, I just like the epic battles. Okay? I like, just like the fight scenes. Okay? And, but what I like best is the battles will, will go badly for the heroes. 
And just when all seemed to be lost and hopeless, a beacon of hope will shine amid the darkness. Like for example, the, the ride of the riders of Rohan. That was a fantastic scene for me. And this is what verses 1 to 5 serves for the people of God in Isaiah's time. It is to give them a beacon of hope in the midst of their darkness and discouragement. They were under oppression by the Syrians. They were led by the bad king Ahaz who ruled the country and was leading them to ruin and loss. And, and, and they see, the righteous among them see that many of the people of God have turned to worship of idols and disobeyed God's commandments. And eventually, um, the nation will be exiled. However, Isaiah, in the midst of this darkness, gives them a beacon of hope. Because he tells them that a son in the line of Jesse, a greater David, and in, if you understand the history of Israel, David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. A greater David, he will return to rule God's people with righteousness. This startling beacon of hope in the midst of darkness. And we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5, that God will keep His promises. Despite the bad leadership of King Ahaz and the faithlessness of God's people, God will keep His promises that He made to King David. So if you recall, God, through the prophet Nathan, told King David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God promised David that one of his offspring will reign as king forever. Just when all seem bleak, just when it seems that David's dynastic line will be lost, Isaiah issues this light of hope. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah's expectation was not merely for a coming king in the line of David, but the coming of a David-like character. Okay? For although successive king of Israel were compared to the father David, only David himself is the son of Jesse. So when Jesse produces a shoot, it has to be David. So what Isaiah was saying is that someone that is David-like, a greater David will come. Although the Davidic line was seen to disappear, like a tree cut to the stump, there remains this hidden life. Because Isaiah knew that the monarchy would not survive the un, could not survive the unbelief of King Ahaz. And he foresaw the ensuing difficulties, calamities, and the exile of God's people. So to him, he struggles with this. And, 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 and he struggles with whether God will keep, take back his promises or will God keep them. Isaiah felt this tension between the faithlessness of God's people, the resultant judgment, and the faithfulness of God to His purposes and promises. But God keeps His promises. The life in the stump will bear fruit. 
it will not die off or be cut off. This David-like king will appear. And Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 tells us, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This David-like king will be anointed by the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, God's Spirit will come upon and indwell this king. You know, for my friends who read the Old Testament, God's Spirit in the Old Testament empowers His King, but His Spirit can come and go. So they empower His, people, uh, his leaders for a specific task. But not so for this David-like King. The Spirit will rest upon Him and indwell Him. And the further this sixth description of the Spirit's anointing is described in three pairs. It talks about the King's ruling attribute, wisdom and understanding, his practical abilities, counsel and might, his spiritual qualities, knowledge and fear. All this characterize a true and better ruler. You know, this ruler will have wisdom, the, the capacity to have right judgment in all things, understanding, the ability to see the heart of an issue, counsel, the ability to devise a right course of action. And this is paired with might to see it through. But not, and not only that, he will possess knowledge that goes beyond uh, knowing about something. This knowledge is the idea, the sense that this king will enjoy a personal, intimate relationship with a person. And when the person is the Lord God, this relationship demands and prompts fear, reverence and worship. This David-like king will be perfectly filled with the Spirit. And how will this king respond and rule? Isaiah chapter 11, verses 3 to 5. And his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath with the breath of his, breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We see this in, in verse 3, this David-like king delighting. That is, his full capacity for delight will be absorbed in the Lord God. He will love and delight uh, in the Lord God 100%. We see that in his judgment, he can go beyond the apparent, you know, beyond what he sees and hears to the truth of the matter. We see in verse 4, he will reign as a righteous judge. The king will know the godly principles of righteousness and justice, and he can apply them in making correct judgments. But he is equally concerned for equity, for, for fairness for all people, especially the meek. As a result, both the poor and wicked are dealt with even-handedly. This righteous king is impartial in his justice. He executes his justice with no other weapon other than his word, demonstrating his great power. He speaks and it is done. Lastly, Isaiah 5 uses this idea, this motive of clothing to express both the inner qualities of the wearer and the external purposes to which the wearer is committed. Here, the belt symbolizes the king's ability and readiness for action 
And righteousness is, is, is whatever actions that match and expresses what the Lord God thinks is right. Faithfulness is the unshakable commitment to what the Lord directs. So both will come together to represent the spiritual integrity and loyalty to God of this David-like king to come. In these verses, we see that from this one stump, a little shoot grows and becomes a branch and bear fruit. And the fruit it bears is a whole new world. You see, my friends, Isaiah's words predict a little boy born in obscurity more than 2,000 years ago now with no status but simply a lineage in a failed Asian dynasty. He is the one we will remember on Christmas. He is the only one that can save us sinners from ourselves. This is the beacon of hope we have. Jesus Christ, born in the line of David. We see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, as well as verses 6 to 7. The beloved Son of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit. We see this in Matthew 3, verses 16 to 17. He is the righteous judge who reigns. We see this in Revelation 19, 11. Jesus Christ is God's promised Spirit-anointed Son who reigns and judges in righteousness. God has kept His promises. So my friends, ask yourself, in, in what ways then can I cultivate this hopeful perseverance in difficult times? And you realize one way is to rehearse and remember the promises of God that has been kept and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, it's, it's five days more to Christmas. And I encourage you to take this time, either personally or better yet, with family and friends, Read the birth narratives of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 to 2, or Luke chapter 1 to 2, or John chapter 1. As you do so, meditate and see how God has kept His promises to His people through Jesus Christ. And in doing so, grow your trust that our God who makes promises keeps His promises. Do so when you're in the light. Because when you're struggling in the midst of difficulties, this hope of Jesus Christ, that He is, uh, that God keeps His promises through Him, shall continue to be a beacon of hope for us. The one anointed with God's Spirit is the only one able to renew nature. He made this world and He loves it. And He will transform it. So that nature, red in tooth and claw, will become restful, secure, and innocent. Every square cm of the world will be the holy mountain of the Lord. And, and this is what we see next in verses 6 to 9. You know, pre-COVID-19 times, I used to visit the cool conservatories at the Gardens by the Bay once a quarter. You know, you know I like the rainforest dome. And besides the cool 23, 24 degrees Celsius climate, I marvel at the flourishing of the plant life. And as I walk, I often wonder what the Garden of Eden will be like. 
I like to think that it is what I experienced at this conservatory multiplied by a thousand times. And this restoration of creation to these Eden-like conditions is what the righteous son of David will usher in when he returns. We read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fetid calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand into the adder's den. In these verses, the imagery of Eden appears again. You know, I, I, this is not new. Isaiah first points to Eden in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. And he expands on this whole idea of restoration of Eden in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. And there he makes an explicit link to the new heavens and the new earth that will come when Christ comes back again. So what we see here is this, that the rule of this David-like king produces a new creation order. And for us to fully understand this, we need to understand the big picture of the Bible. Okay? So in three minutes, I will attempt to do so. When God first created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, He put them to care for the Garden of Eden. It was a place of great flourishing, beauty and life. However, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. They wanted to be gods themselves. And in doing so, they de-God God. God judged them and found them guilty. They were punished and cursed. As a result, all creation was cursed and broken alongside them. This event is what Christians name the fall. But God in His mercy and grace promised one day that an offspring of a woman will come and reverse the curse of the fall and restore Eden. And Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 8, makes the connection that this righteous son of David who reigns is also the one who will reverse the curse of the fall. And what do we see in this renewed Eden? Isaiah gives us a picture in verses 6 to 9. Verse 6, All oh, oh, hostilities and fears are reconciled and removed. Predator and prey live together to a point that even a child is safe among them. And human dominion, we were given um, dominion over creation in Genesis chapter 1, is no longer cruel exploitation of creation. But where is this gentle, untrampling face of a child instead? And in verse 7, we see the picture of nature transformed. Uh, the nature of, uh, of these animals transformed. The point here is not that they are together, but a change in nature. Because they will all eat the same food. Carnivores have become herbivores. And even the young of carnivores and herbivores will lie down at peace. And, and verse 8, Isaiah tells us about the relationship of humankind to reptiles. This is change. This gives a picture of the lifting of curse of Genesis 3.15. A helpless infant wanders safely. Now there is neither a danger that strikes nor a threat that lurks. The enmity between humankind and serpents is gone. The promise that the curse of the fall will be reversed 
happens when the righteous son of David rules. And finally, Isaiah goes on in verse 9 to let us know how this will happen. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Humankind will now neither do what is bad or damage what is good in God's holy mountain. You know, some context, the Lord's holy mountain was a gathering point of all the earth. But what does Isaiah says now? It tells us that all the world is now the Lord's mountain, wholly conformed to God's holiness. And the key to this renewed, transformed creation is the knowledge of the Lord. As the holy God dwells with us, ungrieved by sin, welcoming us to His holy place, we, on our part, enter into a personal, intimate relationship and union with Him, knowing the Lord. Everywhere the Lord is present is His holiness. Everywhere the knowledge of Him is enjoyed, we will both know the truth and the Lord of truth. When the earth is full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the difficulties and pain of our broken world will disappear forever under the overflowing righteous rule and healing of Christ. If we bow to the rule of the righteous son of David, Jesus Christ, he will lead us into everything safe and pleasant and flourishing. So my friends um, who are visiting with us, you know, the, the rule and reign of Jesus will not be a rise of a religion. His salvation is not defined that way. Not even as, as private personal bliss. Nor will He set us in the clouds to play harps and sing in a mass choir forever. The reign of Jesus will be the awakening and purifying and restoring and the gladdening of all things human. His rule, His kingdom, is the only final answer we have to all our difficulties, our poverty, our hunger, our injustice, and all other sorrows that we have created. His grace will add fullness and flourishing to all our human activities and endeavours, everything human to the greater glory of God. Now, as pastor and teacher Raymond uh, Otland Jr. writes, the problem with the gospel is not that it's too small to deserve our faith. Its beauty and magnitude surpass our faith. And we have a reason to believe in this audacious gospel. We saw the future glory of the resurrected Jesus on the Easter Sunday long ago. This is a noble event in our past. And His eternal newness on that day was the future shown in advance, put on public display. Even now, my friends, the fullness of His kingdom is only a cm away. All that stands from this present moment and the promised future is the word of God, the command of God. He's not waiting for favourable conditions in our human social evolution. All God has to do is to give the order and Christ will come and judge, and save, and rule, because Christ Himself is our peace. But through it all, Isaiah is not telling us when. So let's not be caught up with the timing. Isaiah is actually telling us who. And that should be good enough for us. 
This is the good news God is calling us to embrace today. So to my non-Christian friends who are visiting with us today, do you have then this knowledge of God? God is our righteous God who created us and planned a life of flourishing under His rule. But we have rejected Him. We have rejected His rule. We have rebelled and gone our own way. But God in His love has sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, the love that He heard many of the baptism candidates just now talk about. He sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, the true and better Son of David. Jesus came and died on the cross in our place and took on our punishment. And if we say we are sorry and genuinely mean it, and turn to rely and trust in God's promises to save us through His Son, Jesus Christ, then our sins are forgiven. The curse is reversed. And we will have a place under His rule in this renewed creation. So I urge you, my friends, receive and trust this good news. We will receive this abundant eternal life in part now and in full when Christ comes again. And if this is your desire, if this is what you want to do, you can speak to your friends or family member who invited you here this morning. Or, or you could visit our website under Explore Grace Baptist Church and Leaders. There you can find an email and phone contacts of all our pastors and elders. Drop any of our elders and pastors a note and we'll be glad to speak with you. I speak now to my Christian friends. Sometimes we let the glory of this beautiful future fade from our faith sight. We forget. So ask yourself, what if I do not long for the return of Jesus Christ? What can I do about it? What can we do to make us yearn and long for the return of the righteous Son? Firstly, recognize that there may be something other than Jesus Christ has captured our affections. Secondly, confess your lack of desire and affections and turn away from what distracts to focus on Jesus Christ through His Word. And I'm also thankful for my brother Caleb uh, Cole this, this morning. His testimony just reflects that, a turning away from his computer games to focus on Jesus Christ. Lastly, ask for God's Spirit to strengthen your appetite for this future glory in Jesus Christ. And get involved in church community who can help you cultivate your passion for Christ. I know we're a little bit over time, but I'm, I'm almost done. Lastly, let's look at verse 10. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, this serves as a transition verse, but it also forms a bookend to verse 1. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Next slide, please. It shows the verse. So what happens here is Isaiah peels back the curtain of the future and sees this root of Jesse, this David-like king, which stands as a signal or the word could be used as banner or flag, or as what we said, a beacon for all peoples. Nation will come and ask of him. They will know where 
He can be found and it would be glorious. My friends, we live on this side of the fulfilment of this prophecy because this beacon of hope is what we celebrate this Christmas. The righteous son of David, Jesus Christ, who came and will one day return to make all things right. My friends, Jesus Christ will stand as a beacon of hope as part of God's promised plan, with or without our help. But ask yourself, Jesus stands as a signal, as a beacon of hope for the peoples. In what ways am I obscuring or revealing His light? God's plan cannot be stopped. But when we obscure His beacon of light, we deny ourselves the joy of revealing God's good news to others. We forgo the joy ourselves. So have we in our personal character and testimony obscure or show this light of Jesus? And how have we done this as a church in our collective witness? Have we obscure or revealed the light of the good news? And it's not just the proclaiming of the good news, which we have ample opportunity to do with our friends this Christmas as we invite our friends and family to see the real meaning of Christmas. But we do so also by the character of our life together as church. Our life together either distracts or adorns the good news. Are we, Grace Baptist Church, adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we desire to grow as a healthy church that pursues Christ-likeness? And we just have an opportunity to do just this. Our plans and budget for 2021 have been confirmed and approved. And now is the time to put aside differences, seek reconciliation, and work together for the sake of the gospel. And in doing so, may the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ shine as a beacon to the watching world. Let us pray. Father God, in these challenging COVID-19 times, encourage our hearts with this good news that Jesus Christ will return and make all things right. Cultivate the desire in us for this hope of future glory. Strengthen our trust that this hope alone is our security and confidence. Help us as a church proclaim the gospel and help us to live out the application of the gospel in our life together so that we will dawn the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this not for ourselves, but we pray this for your glory, which is our good. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.